0: Jacob Albright, Tommy Kester, this is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH. He's got all the
1: insight on what you want to know and maybe some of what you don't want to know. Here's K-State
0: insider Tim Fitzgerald.
1: All right, welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily on KFH, we do. Welcome in Tim Fitzgerald on a very eventful Thursday for a couple of reasons. K-State is uh, days away from a real make-it-or-break-it moment of this season, and there is significant news for the conference as a whole. Let's start with the Cats, Tim, um, and get right into it here. A lot to cover today. So this is it, right? This is the scenario— that we sort of kicked around a little bit. If TCU can get it done against Oklahoma State, it presents a great opportunity for Kansas State coming out of the bye to get TCU after that kind of an emotional win to have an opportunity here. Uh, K-State's, the line has moved on that, you know, quite a bit, generally around a three- to four-point dog on the road, so essentially a pick 'em if you take home field out of the equation, which feels about right, a clash of styles. There is so much to like about this matchup Saturday night.
0: There really is. It was a great setup because it's hard to figure out how these two teams fit together. And that's what I keep coming to with almost every Big 12 game I discussed this year. They're all competitive with a, you know the exception of a small number. And it really comes down to literally the matchup between the strengths and weaknesses of these teams. And, and this one's really hard to grasp because K State plays good defense. TCU plays good offense. Uh, K State has a you know a passing game that is you know not up to the standards of what anyone would want, but they run a bouquet. Okay. TCU's pass defense is awful. Um, so will K State pass? I, it's, a, it's a very intriguing game. I, I think it might come down to special teams because both programs put a lot of emphasis on that. But, you know, special teams and turnovers are going to really say a lot about this contest. And uh, I, I think K-State wins this just because of what you outlined. Coming off the break, K-State's healed up and, and refreshed. And, and TCU has gone through a, a, a battering ram of opponents, you know, including state It's mentally tough and the- so I think K-State might have more in the take.
2: Fitz, what's the best way to attack Quentin Johnston in this game if you're the secondary for Kansas State? Huh. I mean, he's he's garnered almost 400 yards uh, in receiving, two touchdowns, 22 catches over the last two weeks alone. So how in the world do you stop him and keep him from going off?
0: Yeah, uh, he's, a, he's a problem. And I don't think K-State can sit there in zone and let him pick his open spots because um, getting him down after the catch is a problem. It's not just that he catches the ball. Um, He he can really quickly turn into a superior athlete in the open field, and then that's a huge problem. I think they're going to have to man him up with a guy like Julius Brent, who's 6'3", and has a lot of length to him as a corner, something Kansas State hasn't had a lot of. Um, uh, But the the problem with the TCU passing game is even if you can take him away, they've got other guys that can catch the, the ball. I mean, you go back to that KU-TCU game, the receivers on both teams put on exhibitions on how to attack the ball and, and make your quarterback look good. Uh, so all of these TCU pass catchers, um, you know, can certainly go get the ball if if they need to, and that's an issue for anyone.
1: Well, uh, look, I mean, Duke and and Felix have to be the answer, right? They have to put the pressure on yeah. to not give him time to wreak havoc. Isn't that isn't that the best way to slow down a, a high octane passing attack? I mean, this feels like the game where those guys can, if they can have the type of game they're capable of collectively, that would be the defense, wouldn't it? Just to to get them to get them down, to get them, you know, Duggan from being able to sit back and pick his spots.
0: Yeah, there's you go back and watch the Oklahoma State game, they came at Max Duggan with a four man rush the entire first half, sat back and in zone, but you know, maybe some man mixed in there. Um, and they were effective. They, they came back in the second half and got a little more aggressive on defense and attacking. And uh, it didn't work. Um, you know, they started giving up bigger, bigger pass plays. So um, it's hard to kind of wrap your mind around how to stop this offense. Because if you bring too much pressure, you don't have enough guys in the back end. But if you don't bring pressure, Max Duggan will just kind of carve you up. Uh, or if you bring pressure, he can just tuck the ball and take off and, and cause even more issues. So it's, it's a tough offense to match up with.
2: I want to ask you more about Max Duggan, uh, just what he's been able to do um, all season long. And, you know, you look back at um, last week's uh, to a double overtime game against Oklahoma state. Um, and then even before that, he's, he's looked really good. And like you mentioned, he can sit back and he can carve you up or, you know, he's a hard guy to contain once he decides to take off. So, specifically for Chris Kleiman's defense, if you want to, I mean, I guess it's kind of pick your poison, right? Like what would you rather have? Would you rather let him sit back and throw the ball or try to get pressure on him, but knowing that he can, he can also run pretty well.
0: Yeah, probably that. I mean, he probably, you know, if you get him into running situations, this this sounds callous, uh, but he does expose himself to harm at that point. Um, You know, that's how, you know, quarterbacks either get injured running the ball or, you know, getting blindsided in the pocket. So um, <clears throat> that's probably what you want to do. And I, I think you're right that, you know, getting pressure is the right answer. But I'm sure TCU, after what happened last year, will be very aware of Felix sandy Ndike Ozama And the question becomes, do they overcommit resources to stop him? And, and then, you know, expose Max Duggan to maybe a, a faster rush right up the middle that it's harder to get away from.
1: It's something that's interesting that's happened, um, and I hadn't paid a lot of attention to this. We knew that Tulane was good. Well, they're now in the top 25, right? They've cracked it. They're number 25. And it makes me wonder now what inside that locker room the goals are. And, you know, obviously we're only six games in. We have a lot of big games to play, including this week but I wonder if they're considering the fact that maybe they can play themselves into that ultimate dream scenario. If they win all these games, if Tulane can stay successful, how much of that do you think they're paying attention to? How much does Chris climb and try to avoid that stuff or use that stuff? Do you think for K-State? Because K-State is in that situation, right? They're, they're off to a great start in the league and outside of Tulane, who again is really good, They've had a nice year. Are are we thinking big picture yet, or is that fool is that a fool's errand?
0: Yeah, I guarantee you, Chris Kleiman isn't you know discussing uh, anything beyond this week uh, because you just can't in this week league. And and maybe that's exactly what happened with K State against Tulane. They they kind of took their eyes off of the game in front of them. But uh, you know, you look at these two team schedules, and the difference really is. TCU played SMU out of the American and had enough offense to win. SMU isn't quite as good. And, you know, K-State played Tulane, and Tulane turned out to be a pretty good football team and extremely well-coached team, which we knew going in because of Willie Fritz. But um, that one stings. But, you know, Tulane's continued to do some pretty good stuff after losing the week after beating K-State. They've kind of gathered themselves and started to win games again.
2: Fitz, I want to switch gears here uh, very quickly and talk a little bit about K State basketball. Big Twelve media days uh, yesterday. Jerome Tang, it's his first one building that roster, and, and we've we've seen the preseason polls. We know the coaches' poll in the Big Twelve, and, and ultimately, as everybody knows, that doesn't really matter a whole lot. And uh, you know, especially where Kansas State was picked in the coaches' poll, but there, that's a little bit of bulletin board material, I think, right? And there there's some opportunities here for Jerome Tang to be able to build this roster up, build the program. And, and finish higher in the Big 12 than where they were picked by the coaches.
0: Yeah, you know, honestly, I, I, I don't vote on these things, but I'm not sure what else to do with Kansas State. You're talking about a coach who's never been a head coach before taking over a program that was on the rocks and really struggling. And, oh, yeah, he's got 11 new players on a 13-man roster. So, I, you know, it's hard to sit here and say, you know, it's going to be a vast improvement over what Bruce Weber had because it's kind of like uh, you know, having to report the foundation of the program. But I do think they're going to be much more entertaining and athletic. Um, I think the brand of basketball will be uh, more palatable for a fan base, and um, I think they are going to be better. But, guys, in the, in the Big 12 this year, you can be better and, and finish worse uh, because this conference is just ridiculous. We talk about football side. I think basketball is just so much worse. I mean, it's just unbelievably competitive around this conference and uh Jerome Tang knows exactly what he's getting into and he said it yesterday at Media Day. I gotta go get better players. I gotta consistently get better players. Because he joked I'm not a very good coach, so I gotta have better players than the other team. And he knows it's about the Jimmy's and Jess.
1: Oh, here we go, Tim. Sorry, I had a microphone issue. So uh we we see the competitive nature and you mentioned it there with Tang in basketball and I totally agree. Um I, I think that you know expectations should be Totally changeable throughout the season. But it, it speaks to the competitiveness of this league, basketball and football. And Dr- Brett Yormark talked this week at Big 12 Media Days, was very confident, uh, which we like, right? And and it's backed up now yesterday by a Dennis Dodd report that it looks like the Big 12 is on the cusp of a TV deal. Yormark is swinging big, publicly saying he thinks it's going to be bigger than the one currently that includes Texas and Oklahoma. I don't think there's any chance he says something like that unless it's true because why would you? So my predictions on this and tell me if you think I'm on in any way on these is that this will be announced, you know, within a month or so, but I think the Big 12 is getting somebody for the fourth time zone. And I think that that's a key deal and a key part of how he is going to get more money if that indeed does happen is to give them the window they don't currently have with with the time zones now, because I don't know how else they would do it, but this is all very interesting and it's all very fast. And it, and thank goodness the Big Twelve has the aggressive guy in all of these talks.
0: Very aggressive, and he doesn't go into these things just with words. Um, he, you know, he brought strong evidence that the Big Twelve brings good ratings, no matter who's playing. Yeah, you know, and there are two, a few things that that drive. Ratings. One is, you know, the platform. What platform are you on? If you're over the air with ABC or or Fox, that's going to drive significant ratings. Um, if you're on ESPN, uh, you're going to be okay. But when you start watering it down but beyond ESPN2, including FS1 where the game is this weekend, viewership just drops. Um, and I think he's able to show that when you do put these programs like Oklahoma State Baylor playing in the Big 12 championship game in the big slots, they perform. Why? Because, well, the Big 12 plays entertaining football. And outside of brands, um, fans want entertaining football. And they'll watch Boise play Coastal Carolina, which, you know, have no market. And and they'll they'll pull a big number if it's an entertaining football game. Uh, And I think he's been able to show these networks with tangible evidence used against him that, hey, when you give us the slots, you will get ratings, period. Um, And I think that evidence is all over the place that, you know, a lot of people want to ignore, but I think it's been effective for the big 12. I think you're right. I think they know, everyone knows they're going to go westward. Uh, as soon as these numbers are released and, and the Pac-12 can't match them, you'll have schools, you know, lining up to join the conference. And it'll be entertaining to watch all the people out West who have been so wrong about so much uh, when that finally happens. But, uh, I'm, I'm glad Brett Reomark's in charge of this conference. He was the exact right kind of guy to hire. Um, again, Bob Bolsley was a great peacetime commissioner. This dude's a wartime commissioner, and um, you know he's, he's General Patton right now.
1: Well, yeah, and that's the thing, too, and I think maybe we've all been looking at it backwards a little bit, is that the Big 12 needs to add these teams to sweeten a TV deal when in reality it looks like they're going to get the TV deal to entice these teams. I I just can't imagine that they're getting a TV deal that will top what they have without that window. And those things almost certainly have to be simultaneous. They're they're not going to get that unless they get the window and know, you know, whoever it might be that we're going to get somebody to fill that window. You know, maybe it's PAC 12 teams, maybe it's San Diego state and Boise state and air force and Colorado. I mean, I, I don't know that part of the equation, but they're going to get somebody right because I don't think they get a bigger deal done without the without the West Coast window.
0: No, I agree with you. It does also show that how much sports rights fees are escalating because it's such an effective vehicle for advertisers. It really doesn't exist on TV anywhere other than sports. We don't watch much live other than sports, um, and so it's. A, I think the value overall of these contracts is going up and it's raised enough where without Oklahoma and Texas, the big 12 would make even more money. Uh, but I do agree that with Oklahoma and Texas, it would be even higher. There's no doubt about that, but sure. I don't yeah. think it's going to be the the complete collapse of big 12 football. Like a lot of people predicted, including what I'm finding now Oklahoma and Texas fans hope the fan, the whole league collapses uh, without them. It's just a weird thing. Fan bases are now so, tied into their market value and and rooting against what used to be your conference just to boost yourself up. It's a very strange world in which we live with fan bases.
1: Here's my other wild and crazy prediction based on nothing other than now there's a commissioner in there doing everything he can to sweeten the pot. I think we may get a Big 12 game in a on a night that we don't have a primary – football game. Tuesday, Wednesday. Maybe they try to go up against Amazon on a Thursday. I think there's value there too. And I think if you have enough teams, you can schedule around it. How awesome would Tuesday night Big 12 football be? Tuesday night college football. Whatever it is. Give them a bye week after. I don't care what you have to do. You want to know something else that would make a TV network go crazy and spend a lot of money? Give them a window. Give them football when there's no football.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, and deliver it in a good way. I think Amazon has shown the entire world that if you do a good job with a premier game on a streaming network, you not only have viewers, you will sell streaming subscriptions, which uh, Amazon has done with Thursday night football, even though the last couple of weeks have been absolute dogs. Uh, I think it might be more like a Friday, uh, but yeah, what what really benefits this is the NCAA is strongly considering moving the season up a week uh, to create another, well, first of all, it creates another week full of football for broadcasters uh, and scatter some games out over a longer period. But it also affords the opportunity to have, if you want to play the last week of the season, the Thanksgiving weekend, you can have two bye weeks. So you can build in a, a couple midweek games that, you know, kind of split the difference between a bye week you know, instead of having 10 days off or whatever, you, you kind of go split it in half and, and share it between two different weeks with playing on a Tuesday. I think you're right. I think they're, they're going to do anything they need to do to leverage their ability to draw on viewers. And I think Brett, Yormark knows I need to put my teams somewhere where they can stand alone and be seen because once they're seen people understand this is fun football. I'm going to start watching this. And on top of that, I think it's the, the best college football league upon which to place a sports bet because it is some unpredictable nature to it. Now, the serious gamblers probably don't like that, but I think your, your passive fan enjoys the entertainment of that.
1: Absolutely. Look, the more people bet on games, the more appealing a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night football game right. is because they're going to watch it like we if even if you are a five dollar better like me five ten but whatever just for fun like oh yeah that's on let me let me throw something wild at it like that's going to help too but i i just don't think your mark is so confidently speaking and talking about national brand and being a big presence in these places yeah they may have conference tournaments in big cities and things like that but if they can get the big 12 like you're like we're talking about here in that national spotlight, the more times that they can, that's how they get a bigger TV deal. And that's why I right. think these things are not just pipe dreams but happening because I don't – he's not saying this stuff unless it's going to happen. He has no nothing to gain by publicly saying, I think we're going to get an even bigger deal because I'm a good salesman. Nobody says that unless it's basically a done deal, right? Like, there's nothing to gain from that not happening now. So this stuff is coming, and this is exactly what Big 12 fans hoped for when they made the hire of your mark, who didn't have the exact experience but had the kind of experience to blaze this new trail. And, yeah, a Big 12 game is better than a Big 10 game 90% of the time. Is it better than an SEC game? Maybe not. But it's better than a Pac-12 game. It's better than a Big Ten game. The product is better. I mean, we see it. This has been a really good year for the Big 12.
0: But, yeah, here's the, the underlying value, though. Um, I would say it's better than an SEC game. I think uh, if you take two brands, off-brands, out of the SEC and pair them up, um, it's not going to be a competitive game. I mean, y- you pair up Iowa State at, at Texas. Now that should be a mismatch based on what we've seen on the field this year, but it wasn't. Right. That was yeah. a highly entertaining game, uh, and you don't see that in the SEC and Big Ten. They're they're brands right now, and and this is in part because right now the Big Twelve doesn't have an elite football program, so nobody's kicking the crap out of someone every weekend. That happens in those other leagues on the regular. And then you look at the Big 12 scores, it's like one touchdown, you know, three points. The games are also close, uh, typically. It's, it's very entertaining, and I, I think he's done a really good job of selling that. I think the Big 12 is going to lean into sports betting. I think the Big 12 is going to lean into a lot of really fun stuff that we're going to start seeing from Brett Yormark. He's hinting about influencers and music and you know, just all kinds of stuff that he's trying to bring to the table. Some of it will be swings and misses, and some of it will be really cool. Uh, but thank goodness someone's finally trying it with the Big 12.
1: Yeah, and I don't – I mean, that stuff's all fine and dandy. I don't care so much about that. I, I think it's good. I mean, you want to do that stuff. But ultimately, how many how many eyeballs on a television set are going to drive the dollars? And, and I think he's in a good place with that. So, uh, all right, Fitz, this is going to be fascinating. I think we're going to have a ton of movement on this in the next few weeks. I think it's coming quick, uh, which is a good thing. Sooner yeah, the better. I do too.
0: I do too. Yeah, it's, it's exactly. Right. I, this can't just fester. They need to sort this out.
1: Uh, real quick before we let you go, go powercat.com. What can people expect heading into that TCU game?
0: Well we got all kinds of coverage. In fact, uh with KCK doing so well, we've opened up a, a sale with you know, for two months, basically the remainder of football season for a buck. So it's like the greatest test drive world to get the rest of football season basically for one dollar. So head over to GoPowerCat Click that green join button and they'll get you taken care of. But um, it's it's going to be a fun stretch here. TCU come home play Oklahoma State. Might have College Game Day in town. That's another topic we we'll talk about next week. And then uh, Texas. I mean, this is the stretch, boys. This is this is the proving ground for Kansas State football.
1: Oh man, I cannot wait. I'm so excited for this game this weekend. All right, Fitz, let's do it again next week. Thanks, buddy.
0: Sounds good. Sorry, the dogs didn't do more this week.
1: Yeah, no, we were really disappointed that they didn't speak up. Uh, all right, there goes Tim Fitzgerald. We'll come back. We'll continue on Sports Daily. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Castor, don't go away. <laughs> everybody, Sports Daily right here on KFH. Jacob Brock Tommy Castor alongside you on a Thursday. Our thanks to Tim Fitzgerald for joining us there. If you missed anything about that conversation, you can jump over to KFHradio.com. Of course, the big football game this weekend in Fort Worth against TCU. Hit a little bit on K-State basketball with Media Day this week. And then spend some time with the, the latest developments in the potential media deal coming relatively soon for the Big 12. Um, I took Alvin Kamara, Tommy, for the first touchdown. You know, we played it. He played out at Hutch. Why not give it a run? I think he's the odds-on favorite. Uh, but I took that. That's what I took over at BetMGM. That might be um, kind of
2: the maybe the safest bet of the night. Like at least you know that Kamara yeah. can be productive.
1: Yeah, he's in the mix. It's it's really you know I, I it was kind of like him or D Hop. And while I like the Cardinals to win the game, um. It's just, you know, it, it's sort of who's going to score first, and if they do, who's the most likely. I think those are the two most likely guys, but yeah. whatever.
2: So We'll here, see, we'll see a, how it goes. Here's a stat that I found for Thursday Night Football that I think is really interesting, and it, I think it it lends a lot of uh, credence to your thought that the Cardinals could potentially run away with this. Uh, did you know that the only quarterback, or the last quarterback, I guess, to lose the last five games in primetime by more than 17 points in a row is Andy Dalton. So Ooh. that might lend a little Ooh. bit of thought that the Cardinals could potentially run away with this. Andy Dalton, not good in prime time.
1: We're a hundred percent on Dalton tonight, right? Where, where's Jameis Winston? He's not, what, what is going on there? Yeah. Um, yeah. I I don't know. It's, I, I I can get on board with it, but the good news is now, if you don't, if that game's a dud, we're going to have lots of choices, right? Like it is a rich sports time of year. You got a couple more NBA games tonight, uh, if you choose to go that direction. Um, you have Major League Baseball. You have Game Two: Astros-Yankees. Severino Valdez. Uh, you've got some hockey if you're so inclined. Um, it's so fun. Speaking of betting, so MGM had this strange promotion last night. I can't remember if I sent you this last night or not, Tommy. Where you just pick a goal score and they boosted it up or something. I, I got no idea. Like, I I literally could tell you maybe five <laughs> hockey players right now in the NHL. Like, it, it's just, it's passed me by. Still love it. Still love to watch it when it's on. But as far as, like, knowing the rosters like I did, you know, 15, 20 years ago, like, just just not there. So I was like, all right, Avalanche, let's just pick a player. And I did, and it hit, and I was so excited. Like, so way, go. way, way, way too excited uh, for, <laughs> for that. Um, but there's hockey tonight, too. Last night, we got game two of the NLCS. We got game one of the ALCS. The Padres uh, get back on track in a game they had to have. They get it. The Astros win the game. You suspected they'd win. Now the Yankees sort of in a similar spot. Um, I, I think that it's not as must win for the Yankees tonight as it felt like for the Padres yesterday. Because, of course, they're on the road and it's Severino, and they haven't really gotten to their pitchers that you feel like must win. But an opportunity, right, for the Yankees to – I'll say this. The Astros – well, let me ask you this because I'm not sure how I – who needs this more, this game specifically, Game 2, the Astros or the Yankees?
2: Oh, I think the the Yankees absolutely need this game um, solely because – I think that they they had an opportunity in game one. I know Justin Verlander is a Hall of Famer without a doubt. Um, and he's he's pitched great coming off of that injury and all of that. but um, they I, I feel like and before the game, I felt like, okay, I think the Yankees could potentially get this. like if they can jump on Verlander early, which right. even though he's a Hall of Famer, even though he's a phenomenal pitcher, Teams can do that. They can do that against a Justin Verlander at times. So I thought the Yankees had an opportunity in game one. They weren't able to get it. I think they have to have this game too.
1: Yeah, look, I... I but but the Astro, if the Astros lose this one, that feels like a bigger deal. It I guess it feels like a bigger deal to me that this series is 1-1 in favor of the Yankees. Then, you know, I think that would be more more trouble for the Astros than down two zero. 0 I just don't know how much realistically the Yankees, and, and I get it. Like, you never want to go down 2-0, but in baseball, that makes game three bigger. I don't know. It, it's a really interesting series anyway because it's going to be so home run dependent probably, which makes it relatively unpredictable. Uh, but last night, Houston showed why they're going to be tough to beat. If they get yeah. into a little trouble, they went to Presley early, and Presley's just, man, he's nails right now. Yeah. Um, and and I, what, I
2: felt I felt really um, nervous about the Yankees coming off of that grueling series against Cleveland. And yep.
1: they didn't yeah, you have much the turnaround.
2: They didn't have much turnaround time. Well, but, um, you know,
1: and that's the thing, too. Verlander, it's Verlander, right? We Nobody expected the Yankees to win yesterday. If 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 Verlander was closer to what we saw in the regular season than the one correct. time we saw him last series, and he clearly was right. Eleven K's over six innings. That's. That's Verlander, peak Verlander when he's striking guys out like that. So they got the good Verlander and they didn't win the game. Okay, go out and get him today. I guess I just it's hard for me to quantify the amount of pressure there. Only be, and I only ask this because on the on the other series, it felt like an immense amount of pressure for the Padres to win that game. Like a crazy amount of pressure for the Padres to win that game to me yesterday. And they did. But that one to me was like they're screwed if they can't get this win. I don't think that the Yankees are screwed yet if they don't get the win tonight.
2: I mean, you know, the the Phillies um, had been playing incredible baseball. And, you know, I, I mentioned it on the show yesterday. They looked to me like a World Series champion uh, after game one. And mm-hmm. game two, they jump out to a 4-0 lead, and you're like, all right, here we go. All right, this is going to be the Phillies. Like, uh, the, there's no doubt in my mind at that point. And then credit to the Padres. They— Flip the script and momentum uh, has got to be, you know, headed towards the Padres at this point because they were able to to claw back. And it, I think it's a little bit different if the Padres were able to come out in game two and win from start to finish. I think that's a different feel than going down for nothing and being down 1-0 in the series and then coming back and winning. I think that gives yeah. you significantly yeah. more momentum as you go into game three. Um, you know, I, of course you, you want to lead at the beginning and lead at the end. Uh, but a comeback like that completely flips the script for San Diego.
1: Yeah. It's um,
2: it's an interesting series.
1: I, again, I'm pulling for the Padres hard of these four remaining teams. So I, I hope they got it turned around. They they'll go tomorrow. And that is another big one for them because it's a Musgrove game. Right. And, and, they they kind of need that they kind of need to get that one since they lost the Darvish game.
2: So we'll, we'll see. And don't you don't you feel like too that this is the what we saw in game two with the Padres. This is the Padres that everybody was looking forward to at the trade deadline when they got Juan Soto, when they got Josh Hader. I mean it was a it was a disappointment when they made those acquisitions to make a World Series run. At the time, it was a disappointment. It didn't work. And now we're seeing it work more. And so I feel like this is what San Diego was banking on when they went out and made these trades. Sure. Um, So of course, it's not, it's not necessarily the path that they would have wanted to take. You'd want to win your division, right? You'd want to have a buy, all of that. Uh, It's not quite the path they wanted to take, but it looks like this is the San Diego team that they wanted to have when they made those acquisitions. Josh Hader was lights out.
1: He was, and he's, he's a rock star. Uh, the Padres have the makings of a world series champion. We'll see a uh, long way to go in that series because the Phillies have the things they need to do the same thing. The bullpens, maybe a little bit more of a question uh, NBA last night, the real, you know, real opening night, if you will, uh, because you had just the two games on whatever night that was Tuesday. So, I'm curious because we weren't together when the NBA draft happened. Where were you on the order of the picks this year? Because I thought that Paolo Benchero was the best player and should have been the number one pick, right? He goes out and scores 27 points last night, which is the most since Iverson for a number one pick. Um, I I loved Paolo Paolo, thinking he, like in college, I thought he was going to be a great NBA player. And there was a lot of questions. You know, you had Holmgren in there. Um, and he's hurt now, so we won't know. But that's a really nice debut. And I want Paolo to be I, I really enjoyed him as a player. I, I want him to be awesome and what a start for him in Orlando.
2: Yeah, what did he have last night? It was like twenty five, five, and five. Twenty seven. Yeah, twenty seven points.
1: Five. Uh I don't I don't remember the rest of his official line.
2: I, I want to say that I, I read that a player has not done that in twenty seven, nine
1: and five. Twenty seven okay, nine and in five. a
2: curtain. Nobody had done that in a career debut since LeBron, I believe is what I read. Um, now, it's his very first game, uh, and he's a rookie. But the, the impact that he can make immediately to an Orlando franchise that desperately needs that, they desperately need an anchor long-term, um, I, I don't think that can be understated. So at the time, I was 1,000% on board with the drafting of Paolo. And, you know, one game in, yeah, the sample size is incredibly small, but to me, it sure looks like the magic have found somebody that can, you know, potentially change the course of their franchise.
1: Well, Jabari Smith was the other guy in the conversation. He had a nice debut too, 17 and seven. And then Holmgren's hurt. Those were kind of the three guys I think that people looked at. And, you know, what we saw in limited action of Holmgren in the summer league opened my eyes because I'm I'm. I want Holmgren to be awesome. I'm just not totally convinced, but he looked the part for sure in the limited time we saw him. But the reasons we have concern with him you know, is, is the potential for injury with his body type. Smith was pretty good for Houston yesterday. Um, Paolo was really good, and, and I hope it's a great class. I, one of my favorite things that's happened in the NBA over the last four or five years is the absolute infusion of great young star-type players and the and the uh, wealth spreading that's happened in the NBA. The NBA, in my opinion, had a real problem on its hands with the Warriors' run in that nobody had a chance to beat them. Now, the Raptors did because of injury, but when that team was healthy, nobody was going to beat them. The more of these star, really high-level players we get the more the talent spreads across the league, the better it is for the league, because right now it's kind of it's it's pretty unpredictable. I mean, Golden State has has the edge, but there's a lot of great young players that are going to make a lot of a lot of teams relevant that maybe you didn't expect. That's a good thing for the NBA. Good debuts for the rookies last night.
2: Yeah, and what I really liked about the draft when it happened was the fact that you had a couple of guys that were in the conversation as to who would be the top pick, and then you know you've got in years past, that year that Zion was drafted, everybody knew Zion was number one. But the fact that you've got a multitude of talent that could potentially go at number one, uh, and then, you know, you have number two, number three, so on and so forth, can immediately come in and impact teams. That's what the draft is all about, is getting these teams that are in desperate need of talent an infusion of that. And I think that we saw that with Orlando, and we saw that with Houston last night. And I think those two guys, Jabari and Paolo, I think that they will continue to contribute that way.
1: It's going to be fun. It is going to be a fun year for sure, especially if those rookies are good. All right. We'll come back. Sports Daily continues. We'll roll ahead on this Thursday edition right after this. Tommy, where are you leaning on that K-State game as of right now? We'll make our picks tomorrow Um I think I kind of like the K State money line. Spoiler <sighs> alert, it, it's I don't know. It's one of those games where, like, if I'm going to take the points, I'm just I, I kind of feel like I'm just going to take the money line because it seems like such a stylistic clash that if K State does what it wants to do, I like them to win the game anyway. But if TCU dictates the pace and style of that game, I don't. I'm not sure they're going to cover three and a half either way. So if I'm going to take K State, I feel like it's the money lines to play. I just think it's gonna be one of two things is gonna, I don't think they can both do what they want to. I just don't think that will work. K-State would like to, you know, possess the ball and run the ball and play good defense. DCU, I would think, wants us to get track meet E because they'll they you know they they would they would have a clear advantage if that happens.
2: Yeah the, the pressure is clearly on the shoulders of the K State defense um, and limiting Max Duggan, um, and that's tough to do. Nobody's really limited Max Duggan at this point. Um, but you know, we talked about it earlier in the week about how Kansas State uh, they are in the driver's seat to potentially win a Big Twelve title. So it's a a, a supremely important game for them. Uh, but I don't know. I'm not. I don't know if I'm quite there yet uh, with with Kansas state, man, TCU is good. And they've, they've consistently, not only are they good, they've consistently gotten better. I feel like as the season has gone on. Uh, and so I don't know, I, I'm not quite there yet. Maybe in the next 24 hours or so, my, my thought might change, but, um, that's tough for me.
1: It's it is. Um, I, I, I'm, I've, and I've been going back and forth with this game a lot too. Like it's not, it just it's such an opportunity for K-State. Such a big opportunity. And TCU has had close game after close game after close game and emotional win after emotional win. I I think that's advantage K-State. I I these are the kinds of games that I just get so fired up for. The totally Unpredictable, which team will impose its will? Kind of games. Um, I'm interested in KU Baylor because I think that's a winnable game for KU. But I think we generally know how the the pace of that game is going to go, right? Like, they both teams are probably scoring some points. I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think there's a lot of mystery in KU Baylor. The mystery comes in. Do you think KU can beat them? And I think that they can. But for K-State TCU, there's mystery in every piece of it, literally every component of that game, right? Both teams want to do different things, and both teams are going to have to come up with answers early. And, you know, I think Fitz mentioned special teams. Yeah, those kinds of things can turn these games upside down in two seconds, right? Like if, let, let's say in both scenarios, right? Let's say a big special teams is... Play is made and it allows TCU to go up quickly by two scores or something, well, that's going to throw K-State out of its, you know, out of its dream scenario. And on the flip side, let's say K-State has a huge special teams play and gets an early lead. That allows K-State to do exactly what it wants to do. So it could come from anywhere in a game like this that could totally change the narrative of it in a narrative that's already hard to predict. And I think that's why these kinds of games can end up being so much fun because it's a chess match as much as a
2: football game. Yeah, I think the reason why I'm still not quite there with Kansas State is because if this turns into a shootout, if Kansas State's defense can't hold TCU... I don't think K State wins the game. Uh, TCU. Well, no, I don't either. Much more I don't firepower either. on offense, and and so that's yep. why I say the pressure is firmly on the shoulders of Kansas State's defense. If they can if they can keep it low scoring, then there's a significantly better chance that Kansas State will win this game.
1: I also, I mean, I look. I think there's pressure on TCU too because if Kansas State can control the ball and run the ball, if TCU doesn't have an answer for that early, it's going to keep them off the field. It's but it goes both ways. Like I again. It's not strength versus strength here. This is a chess match. There's a lot of strategy involved in these kinds of games. We'll get our official picks on it tomorrow. We'll come back, wrap up this Thursday edition next.